And we found you, Andrew. Yes, you did. How are you? I am fine. Well, I was going to ask you right off the bat, are you ready to get regulated by the Federal Reserve? Because they have a plan for you. I know they do. What's going on? Well, you know, <laughs> this is the, the very last vestige of a power grab, and it generally comes in the on the heels of a crisis. You know, that Hegelian dialectic, right? The thesis, antithesis, and then synthesis. So here's the problem. Mm-hmm. Oh, what a terrible problem it is. And here's the solution. Just give the Federal Reserve the key to the whole shooting match and let them regulate everything. Essentially, 70, well, almost, I guess, 90 years ago, things really changed, right? Indeed they did. I mean, it, the system dramatically changed 95 years ago in 1913. And tell us what happened in 1913, Andrew Garth, currency historian, a man about town. Uh-huh. Well, essentially, <laughs> we privatized the issuance of money. You know, it seems that anything that's profitable to the government is quickly privatized. The only thing that stays in the government's coffers is that which costs money or loses money. But anything that makes money is quickly privatized. And making money, obviously, is one way to make money. So <laughs> the actual manufacturer of money, yeah. uh, you know, that task, the issuance of money, was privatized all the way back in 1913, so long ago that there are very few people around who actually remember it. So for those of us who live in Dripping Springs, what does privatized mean? So up until 1913, the United States would print United States notes and just spend them into circulation? No, not exactly. No, in fact, no. uh, the only thing that the government was allowed to issue was gold and silver coins. Oh. But you might go down to your local bank in Dripping Springs there, the Bank of Dripping Springs, and, mm-hmm. and deposit your gold and silver coins in the vaults there. And then they would give you these notes for the gold and silver coins. Bank of Dripping Springs promises to pay to the bearer on demand whatever it is that he deposited here in the bank, $1, $5, $10. The problem was if you took a bunch of these banknotes and you got on a train and went up to New York City and started walking around trying to cash notes from the Bank of Dripping Springs, very few people would be willing to accept them. Ah, oh, okay. So the reasoning behind having a Federal Reserve was that we would have a uniform currency good throughout the country so that the notes issued to you in Dripping Springs would look just like the notes issued to me up here in Hawthorne, New Jersey. But were these notes still going to be issued to Patrick or Andy, who lived in New Jersey, or Patrick in Texas, equaling the amount of gold or silver that I gave to the bank? Well, you know, that was always a problem before the Federal Reserve, is that, you know, some charlatans would set up the second National Bank of Dripping Springs, Uh and people would bring their gold and silver coins in and deposit them. And they would give them notes representing those gold and silver coins. And then in the dark of night, they would leave town with all the gold and silver coins, leaving the notes worthless. I hate it when that happens. Yeah, everybody hated it. And so to stem this growing distrust, you know, this is what caused people to bury their gold and silver coins in the yard or hide them under the mattress. Uh, The Federal Reserve said, well, what we're going to do is going to take this power in a monopoly fashion, and we're going to exclude everyone else from doing this, and we're going to be the only ones to do it. So you're going to give us your gold and silver coins, and then we're going to issue Federal Reserve notes. And since we're the most preeminent bankers of the day, and we're federal, 
uh, you should have no problem with our credibility. So, so this is what happened in 1913. That's right. But everybody at the time believed that this was really the federal government doing this, when it was really just a bunch of rich bankers. Oh, indeed, yeah. This was put forth as an act of Congress. You know, Congress... Uh, Why did Congress it, go along with this? Well, Congress went along with it because the idea of a uniform currency made sense. Yeah, but... We had just come off the heels in 1907 of a, the Knickerbocker Trust Corporation in New York City uh, was one of these banks that uh, had a tendency to issue more notes than they had gold and silver coins. And uh, as people began asking for their gold and silver coins, it was clear that the Knickerbocker Trust did not have enough gold and silver coins to back up the debt, uh, back up the notes. And so uh, a lot of people lost their money, their life savings. Uh, they had notes yeah. and couldn't get them cashed. But, in. I mean, just think about it, 2008, and we're, we're trading amongst ourselves and whatever. We have all these different banks. And then all of a sudden, a big group of the bankers, J.P. Morgan, Chase, Bank of America, you know, well, you know all the big guys, right? Sure, the, sure. the boys. They said, well, we've got together. We, get, we had this meeting out in uh, some island off of Georgia. What was the name of the place? Jekyll Island? Jekyll Island. And we, th- we decided that we're going to be the main, the main deal here. We're going to be the Federal Reserve, even though we're not really federal. And we're going to print the dollars, and we're going to loan them to you, and we're going to control everything. Well, and that's going to be great. Not exactly. No, well, why would, why would the United States, why would the people at the time even go along? Or why would oh, the Congress go along with that's it? That's what I mean by not exactly. See, you and I know today, 95 years later, about Jekyll Island. Right. But in reality, in that day... They didn't know? Oh, no, no, no. In You're fact, kidding. They didn't know about it. It was one of the best-kept secrets. In fact, those people that went to Jekyll Island were only known by their first names. Really? And they, it was a very exclusive hunt club, but they, the regular staff was dismissed for the week, and the new staff was brought in, especially for this occasion, that didn't know anyone and couldn't identify anyone. And so this was kept very, very, very well under wraps. And when they were done hammering out the plan, they simply handed it over to their favorite senator, Nelson Aldrich, mm-hmm. uh, the grandfather of Abby Aldrich Rockefeller. Mm-hmm. And uh, he presented it to Congress as the Aldrich Bill. So I'm this famous senator, and I'm presenting this bill. This isn't a bill written by the Federal Reserve. This is the Aldrich Bill. Oh. Much the same way. You know, Patrick, we just had bankruptcy reform a couple years ago. You didn't see people marching on Washington demanding bankruptcy reform. You didn't have people standing in front of the White House in their reform bankruptcy laws now T-shirts and waving their reform bankruptcy uh, placards. You didn't have uh, uh, the type of citizen activism to reform bankruptcy laws. But yet, here comes a bankruptcy reform bill. Well, of course it was written by the banks. They wrote it. Went and got their favorite senator and said, mm-hmm. here. We're going to reform ourselves. That's it. <laughs> and that's how the monetary system was reformed in 1913. So now with all this going on that was supposedly uh, the subprime is the problem, but we now know that the real problem started in 1913. Indeed. Right, right. And now the Federal Reserve and all their infinite wisdom that's got together with the Secretary of Treasury, Henry Paulson, and says, you know, this is a big mess. People, oh yeah. So now we're going to regulate everything, the Federal Reserve, right? Right. So we're going to talk about that because I just heard about this about two hours ago, and I, you know, yeah, I just heard about it. 17 minutes after 6, and we have a line uh, available. We're going to get to you, Kent. I know you've been holding. If you'd like to be on the show, 836-0590, toll-free 877-590-5525 with Andrew Goss. 
25-year currency historian, two books, Secret World of Money, and Uncle Sam Cooks the Books. My name is Patrick Timpone. If you like this kind of stuff, you really want to learn about what's going on, you can join us every Saturday, every Wednesday, when we have Andrew Goss on, oneradionetwork.com. Call now at 836-0590, pound 590 for your wireless. All right. And toll okay. free at 1-877-590-KLBJ. Okay, 22 minutes after the hour. Andrew Goss is our guest, and you will be our guest, too, at 836-0590. And uh, let's get to Kent, who's been holding a bit. Uh, Kent, you're on KLBJ with Andrew Goss. Hi. Yes, hi, Patrick. Uh, I, I'm an, I admire your uh, your tenacity and uh, and your innovation, always coming up uh, with new ways to expand the scope of your influence over the airwaves. <laughs> well, I couldn't have said it better myself. Thanks. <laughs> now, uh, I have a question. You you seem quite knowledgeable in the way that the money system works, and we hear all the time about the national debt and the treasury bills and and the people that own. The, the national debt. Who do we give money to? Now, say that you, you cut out for a second. Who okay, do? Okay, I'm on the freeway here. We 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 owe all this money. We have this national debt. We keep borrowing money. We keep issuing paper. Right. And there are people that own the debt on America that we have to pay interest on. If you look at the budget of the United States, uh, I, I don't know what it is. Ten, fifteen, twenty, thirty percent of the money that is is generated in revenue goes to pay the interest on the national debt. Who owns this debt? Who do we pay this money to? Andrew Goss. Yeah, I wish it was me. Uh, No, three components there. One is what we call intergovernmental debt, or we owe it to ourselves. When we take money from the Social Security Trust Fund or the Medicare Trust Fund or the Indian Trust Fund or one of any of 170 separate trust funds, they tell you, we want to set up a trust fund to save the whales, and then they borrow all the money out of it. That's one category that we pay interest to. The second category that we pay interest to are the investing public, and this includes pensions, institutions, and foreign investors. So you may have heard the Chinese own our bonds and the Japanese own our bonds. And then the third component is the Federal Reserve Banks, primarily the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. So each time Congress presents a Treasury bond that the investing public doesn't want to buy, that they've taken all the money out of the trust funds so there's none there to borrow from. So the third option is the Federal Reserve simply creates the appropriate amount of money, exchanges it for the Treasury bond, and then puts it on a shelf and collects the interest, which they use to pay their operating expenses. They pay for their 47 Learjets and their art collections and their six-figure salaries with bulletproof limos with drivers and a pistol range and so on. And they they collect the interest from the American people. Oh, of course. Right. Yeah, we're the ones that pay. That is the no question about that. And the the annual figure is quite startling now. It approaches, uh, as the gentleman caller is making quite clear, 35% of every income tax dollar collected from an individual. So if 35 cents of every dollar you pay in tax, federal income tax, is used to pay the interest on the stated national debt, the bonded national debt. 
Now, now, during the Clinton administration, didn't we settle it off? Didn't we pay all our debt? Didn't we have a zero debt at that point? It was so disingenuous of Mr. Clinton to do that. I remember when he came out with the bulletin board and made the big zero. And I lamented this fact in the World of Money newsletter because it's a terrible shame that Americans don't know the difference between the deficit and the debt. The deficit is simply the amount of money that we spend each year above what we take in. The debt is the accumulated total of all of these deficits. So in that one year, when tremendous amounts of revenue were coming in from the baby boomers who had not yet started to retire, it is true that combined in a unified budget, we did not run a federal deficit for that particular tax year. But the debt at that point was still $7.5 trillion. All that it did was stop growing. And what is the debt today? Well, the stated debt is something on the order of $11 trillion. Mm. But in Uncle Sam Cook's The Books, I suggested it was double that. And uh, Mr. David Walker, of the formerly of the GAO, uh, estimated... It was five times that, mm-hmm. and uh, Professor Lawrence uh, Polikoff from Harvard, I believe, uh, suggested it was $44 trillion. So we really don't know what the number is. And, and, and what, what, what percent of this debt is owned by, uh, by foreign companies or foreign governments, and what is the interest rate that we pay on this debt? Well, this is the alarming part of it all, is that about 22% of our total debt, our stated debt, is held by foreign entities completely foreign to the United States. This is what you hear about China holding bonds and the Middle Eastern countries holding bonds. So about, 22% of the $11 trillion. Yes. Okay. And about an equal figure is held by the Federal Reserve, so we think. Now, as recently evidenced by them wheeling out $200 billion of these bonds and putting them in the middle of Wall Street so that the banks could forage, uh, we have no way of really knowing because... The Federal Reserve Bank of New York has never had its books audited in its 95-year history, so we couldn't really tell you how much they have, but I would guess a significant portion, about 22 to 25 percent of that $11 trillion, is held by the New York Federal Reserve Bank. And what is the equity backing up those bonds? That is the real key to it all. <laughs> you know, as Jefferson put it, uh, that which makes the bond good also makes the bill good. It's insane to suggest that Congress issues a bond for $1,000 and then hands that bond over to the Federal Reserve, who then creates $1,000 and loans it to Congress at interest. My question is, why doesn't Congress just print the $1,000 and put it into circulation at no interest? At least then, the $350 billion or so we spend in annual interest payments would go towards reducing the principal. So just like a good credit card uh, uh, debtor should do right now, you should call your credit card company and tell them to cut that rate to zero and that everything that you're going to pay from now on is going to be principal. That's what we should do with the Federal Reserve Bank. So in, so in essence, what's happening is the people of the United States are, are held hostage by this exorbitant interest they will never pay off, which is, which is curtailing the expenditure for social systems and social benefits and processes to the people and making a lot of fat cats around the world rich. Well put, Kent. That's exactly what's happening. You want your own talk show? Because I can just go home. <laughs> he 
doing a great job of yeah, outlining yeah, the too. problem. And in reality, this this interest figure is important. But let's not lose sight of the more important thing, which is this new word for the day, seniorage. Mm. Seniorage, the difference between the cost to create the $1,000 and the face value of the $1,000. So in the old days of paper, when you had to print 10 $100 bills, it well, cost... Let, can, can we break before we get into what yeah, seniorage is? do that. And I just think it's right when Kent it, it was very eloquently going through this with you, I, I just really enjoyed it. This idea that, that you said that the Federal Reserve Bank has never had their books audited in, what, 95 years. Hey, even better than that, uh, they're exempt from income tax. And they're exempt from income. And these are private bankers. And now they're saying that they want to audit all the other people. This is what they're coming out with today, right? We well, want, that way, that we want way you to show us the books, right? They know who to take over. Oh, my gosh. That's <laughs> amazing. Okay, we'll be right back. The Real World of Money with Patrick Tempone and Andrew Goss. Call now at 836-0590, pound 590 for your wireless, and toll free at 1-877-590-KLBJ. Yes, uh, please do come on in. 36 after the hour, and that's the number, 836-0590. 836-0590, toll free, 877-590-5525. It's the last Saturday of the month. Month. It is the real world of money with Andrew Goss, 25-year currency historian. He has two books, Secret World of Money, and Uncle Sam cooks the books. So, so something's been rotten in Denmark since 1913. Yeah. Yeah, and now these people, the Federal Reserve bankers, they what exactly have you heard in the last few days of what these new regulations uh, that are being proposed? Well, essentially, you know, get rid of everything except the Federal Reserve and allow the Federal Reserve <laughs> to, to manage everything monetary. Everything. So if it's monetary, if it has to do with money, no office of thrift supervision or, you know, uh, what are the others? There's a whole alphabet soup, comptroller of the currency, secretary of the treasury. There are so many different Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. They want to do everything. They want to just have their pulse. Because what this suggestion is now mm. is that, listen, folks, let's not mistake this for a minute to be Joe's defaulting on his home mortgage, and therefore this whole system is in trouble. It's being painted that way. But imagine Joe's home mortgage being uh, the tactic being used by a major corporation to issue bucket loads of bonds, or worse yet, by a hedge fund to issue, to borrow money in order to gamble on whether things are going to go up or down in price and make a bunch of investors money, those are where the real problems lie. This is what what you said at the beginning of the show, in your opinion, was the Hegelian dialectic. Yes. Which is where an organization is usually governments, right? Well, let's say you're the Federal Reserve, okay, and you want to take control of the monetary system. Mm-hmm. Well, you want that to be a solution. You don't want to suggest, uh-huh. hey, give us control right. of the monetary right. system. No, what you do is first you find a problem to create. <laughs> oh, look, there's a problem, the hedge funds. Now, they're outside of our regulatory authority, we the Federal Reserve. Well, what if a bunch of hedge funds got together and bet, oh, let's say, 500 times the total world's output for a year and then lost that money? 
and the entire financial system would be underpinned by that loss. So now there's your problem. And now here's our solution. Let the Federal Reserve take control of everything financial, and then that won't happen again. And who are, is, are <laughs> the Federal Reserve? Well, this is the real interesting point, right? We look at what just unfolded before our very eyes last week, and the week before, the Bear Stearns debacle. Mm-hmm. Now, unless you've been living in a cave, you've heard about the Bear Stearns debacle. Bear Stearns, a nice investment house on Wall Street, got itself in trouble, and J.P. Morgan came to the rescue at $2 a share. Two bucks a share. J.P. Morgan Chase, mm-hmm. $2 a share. Well, the stock is now worth 10 or 12 but yeah. they offered to bail them out at $2 a share at the, quote, urging of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. Okay. Well, I didn't hear anybody say that J.P. Morgan Chase is one of the primary owners ah. of the Federal Reserve Bank of New mm. York. They left that out of they left that out of the story that I, I heard on the radio. That in any stories, mm-hmm. everyone's covering how you know this is being done, but no one's saying. Oh, and by the way, J.P. Morgan Chase is one of the primary owners of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. Yeah, but J.P. Morgan Chase is a private banker. I mean, because, oh, you know... it doesn't matter. And, and, you know, Chase and and uh, the Federal Reserve is federal, right? Well, more or less. <laughs> no, it's and, not, though. And, you know, what, what's, what's funny is... <laughs> not what, even more, is it? No, there's no federal to it, is Well, there? no. If you look up in Black's Law Dictionary the word federal, ah. you'll find that it uh, in, in, entails a single headquarter unit with a bunch of constituent units. So that's how you have Federal Express ah, yeah. or Federal Department Stores. Mm-hmm. Uh, what you have is a headquarters somewhere and then a bunch of far-flung little constituent units. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what we have with the Federal Reserve. But it's not federalized in federal government. Ah, well, we can't think of the federal government as somehow meaning government. That's why there's two adjectives there. Mm. So in effect... The Federal Reserve is a group of privately held banks. The Federal Reserve Board is a board to oversee the interest rate cycles appointed by the president. So there are two distinct components of the Federal Reserve system. So it's partly true that it's government, and it's partly true that it's private. That's why when you corner a congressman or a senator and you say, is it true the Federal Reserve is private? They can say, no. But if you say to them, is it true the Federal Reserve banks are private? They must say yes. And they're the ones that make all the money. They know. Well, that says, who is it that said that? Was that Willie Sutton? Yeah. Willie Sutton said, yeah, he robs banks because that's where the money is. He doesn't rob boards. That's where the money Nobody's going to go rob the Federal Reserve board. That's right. We rob the bank. We rob the Federal Reserve bank. That's where Bruce Willis uh, <laughs> you know, caught the guys with all the pickup or the dump oh, full of gold. Yeah. This is just like a bad movie, man. It is a bad movie. And now the, the Federal Reserve banks, these private bankers, they're saying... And Henry Paulson, the Secretary of Treasury, is saying, yeah, well, this is a great idea. Uh, Wait, did we mention Henry well, Paulson, the former chairman of Goldman Sachs, one of the second primary oh. owners of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York? So Henry Paulson, the Secretary of Treasury, is is a big shot, used to be. His he whole, was a chairman. Oh, a chairman. Of Who? Goldman Sachs. And Joe, Goldman Sachs owns the Federal... Equal in stature with J.P. Morgan Chase... At the Federal Bank... As of, owners of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. In New York, which is the one that controls everything, is the Bank of New York. 
So, so these guys are just all in this whole thing together. Well, again, think about it in these terms, you know. Bear Stearns. If the Federal Reserve Bank of New York wanted to save Bear Stearns, they could have just said, okay, well, here, we're going to give you $30 billion. Mm-hmm. But instead, they put a gun to their head. Oh, you need money? You're almost broke? Oh, that's too bad. You have to get bought by one of our owners here for $2 a share. And oh. you either do that or Monday morning, the whole financial system comes down in a heap and you'll probably go to jail for it. Really? And one of the owners just happens to be the people that, that own the Federal Reserve Bank, J.P. Morgan. Yeah. Boy, this is a beautiful thing, these guys So the got guys going. at Bear Stearns, primarily the chairman, who had, wow. you know, they gave him a golden parachute and said, here, you had a billion dollars, but now you'll at least walk away with $60 million and... I mean, you can do okay with $60 million. You know, you might have to struggle a little bit, but you'll be all right. Folks, do you believe this? Do you understand what's going on? So you're going to continue to read the Wall Street Journal and watch CNBC and this other stuff that has you no clue about what's really going on? You don't want to do that anymore. Let's go to uh, South Austin. Tim, you're on KLBJ. Yes, uh, I'm enjoying the show very much. Thank you. Uh, And I think I know what's kind of going on. First off, uh, when the, uh, President Bush removed the M1 or M3 from uh, Congress's uh, oversight, shouldn't they have uh, thrown a fit because that tells how much money is being pr- uh, printed and the uh, debt ceiling? And my second question is, back during the Clinton administration, uh, we loaned Europe, the euro, $50 billion dollars. And was that through the International Monetary Fund? And were we required to do that? And how does that affect us now with the euro being more uh, um, uh, a higher rate now uh, than it used to be? A buck fifty-eight. That was five good questions. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Uh, We'll we'll, we'll talk about it. One right after another, right? So, okay, imagine this game being foisted on us or suggested in 1913. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow, this works good. You see what happens all of a sudden? We're issuing all the money. People are accepting the money. We've got the gold. We issue the money. We get to keep a profit, guaranteed 6%. We don't pay income tax. We're exempt from audit. Hell, let's franchise it. <laughs> let's do more of this. Yeah. So, well, how are we going to get the guys in Europe to go for it? Let's take this on the road, boy. This is right, good. But how are we going to get the rest of the world to go for this? All right. This is 1913. Yeah. They're not stupid. What can it be? Hmm. Oh, how about a war? Nice. Big war in Europe. Wipes out what appears. Here's our Hegelian dialectic again. Wipes out what appears to be competition and creates several central banks on the model of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. We have the Bank of France. And let's not forget the Bank of England, the granddaddy of them all. Bundesbank in Germany, and all of those have now morphed into a central bank for all of Europe, known as the ECB, the European Central Bank. But we're getting ahead of ourselves, Mm -hmm. because now that we've franchised this central bank concept throughout the world, and we do carry it forth later into Japan and the Far East, but for right now, we're in Europe, and this franchise is very successful, but you need to regulate everybody, so we're going to create a central bank to oversee all of the central banks. And we're going to call it the Bank of International Settlements, or the BIS. And this BIS creates alliances between countries, even when they're at war. So that if something needs bought and something needs to be paid for, why, 
we can still do business just because we're fighting each other. This is an absolute scandal in terms of trading with the enemy and national patriotism, but the people of the day have no knowledge of it. They don't understand. Once the rest of the world is consolidated, the International Monetary Fund is established with contributions from all of the franchisees. And the purpose of this institution is to go out into countries that have not yet adopted the franchise and encourage the development so that they will. Sometimes it's done with uh, good intentions and sometimes with not so good intentions, as is the case with South America. Mm. Well, that's a... That's a little bedtime story for you, isn't it? Yeah, it's a frightening one. Boy, that, okay, Andrew Goss is here. My name is Patrick Timpone, and just uh, stay there. By the time 8 o'clock rolls around, you'll be ready to uh, raise a flag and get some ammunition and uh, quit paying taxes. <laughs> We're gonna, you're going to be in big trouble. All right, that's what we do here. Last Saturday of the month is the, the real world of money. And also, every Wednesday on OneRadioNetwork.com, 7 to 8 o'clock, the Real World of Money with Patrick Tempone and Andrew Goss. Call now at 836-0590, pound 590 for your wireless, and toll free at 1-877-590-KLBJ. And to uh, Northwest Austin, Terry, you're on the air. Hi. We lost him. How did we do that? Well, let's go to uh, Gatesville. Sorry, Terry, call back. You were holding on. Dax, you're on KLBJ. Good morning. Good evening, gentlemen. Good evening. You know, until just a few months ago, I've been teaching these truths since the early 70s. Until just a few months ago, I was still being called a nut. <laughs> uh, it's good to hear it. Listen, de facto, looking at the expression, full faith and credit in the United States, fact is the Federal Reserve owns all the wealth in the U.S. Yeah, but with a stroke of the pen, we could take it back again. Well, I hope we can. How, you could, know, how as, could we do that, Andy? As one nut to another... Uh, we could issue United States notes directly from the Treasury under Title 31. Now, it's going to require modifying Section 111, uh, 5115 again and, of course, eliminating the concept of the private ownership of the Federal Reserve Banks. Uh, those institutions have to be quickly nationalized. You know, I think we should send some generals in there and... Yeah. Uh, make those people drafted into the service. Well put. Wasn't it six months before Kennedy's death that he proposed a very similar arrangement? Well, that's right. John Kennedy uh, issued United States notes, about $400 million worth, I think it was, in the summer of 1963. That would have been June that's right. of, of 1963. You may remember them. Uh, they had uh, red seals. They were $2 uh, notes, uh, right. $5 notes, and... $100 notes a That's couple right. of years that, later. That didn't set well with the Federal Reserve, I suspect. Well, no, because there's that word, seniorage. Mm -hmm. Now, we should give that as a homework assignment. Everyone type, write that word down. S-E-I-G-N-I-O-R-A-G-E. And go look it up, because it's an important word. That's it right. is the difference between the face value of the money and the cost to manufacture. If you're one of the fortunate Americans out there and you have a $100 bill in your pocket right now, pull it out. Read the top of it. It says Federal Reserve Note. So that's a note for $100 that you accepted for some labor or service that you provided, and it cost the Federal Reserve about $0.02 cents to make it. And the $99.98 profit 
That's called the seniorage. Okay, Terry, you're up next. KLBJ, turn down your radio, Terry. Terry. Oh, hi there. Yes. Go ahead. Turn down your radio. Okay. I'm uh, concerned about the recent drop in the price of gold. Where does Andrew think the price is going in the future? Well, uh, I mean, to be honest, as the only liquid money, uh, gold is destined to increase against, as measured against Federal Reserve notes dramatically. But the recent drop is something that I'm going to have to take an issue with because the fact of the matter is that a $20 gold piece is the equivalent of a week's labor, at least for a typical craftsman. And it has been ever since 1849. So, I, you know, the price of a, a week's labor this week is about the same as it was in 1849. And that's really what you have to think about if you're exchanging your labor or your goods for this quantity of money, well, then you, you want the, it to be the same. Do you think the price will keep going up? Oh, indeed. Relative to Federal Reserve notes, I believe that a $20 gold piece 20 years from now will be the equivalent of a week's wage. Now, of course, our kids will be the ones working. I hope I'm not. And they'll be earning somewhere on the order of twenty-eight to $2,900 a week. And we'll be telling the stories of how we used to work all week for $800. And they'll <laughs> laugh at us, you know, as, as though we were stupid. Well, how, how high do you think the price of an ounce of gold will go this year? Well, you know, if these... if these uh, 30 seconds. If they're allowed to create electronic or paper gold, <laughs> there's wow. no telling where the price of gold can go. So you think it'll go up? I do believe, ultimately, the, the direction of gold is up relative to Federal Reserve notes, yes. Yep. How about uh, you hear this $2,000 figure being thrown around a lot? You think that's in uh, our... not unreasonable. No, no. no, not unreasonable at all. And the drop he was talking about, it went up to 1000 last week and then went down. It's now to about a 930 or something, right? Yeah. Okay, we got to do a quick break, and uh, we'll be right back. Stay there.